Welcome to On the Horizon, Navigating the European and African Theatres, the official podcast of Admiral James G. Fogo III. In this November episode, Admiral Fogo and I will look to discuss the end of Trident Juncture 2018 and the successes and challenges of that exercise. In addition, we will talk about his time at the NATO Supreme Allied Commanders Conference and his time at Flanders Field. I'm back with Admiral Fogo, Commander of U.S. Naval Forces Europe and Africa and Commander of Joint Force Command Naples. Thank you, sir, for joining us today. Hey, Lieutenant Dixon, it's great to see you again. Now that Trident Juncture is completed, what are some of the major takeaways, and from your perspective, did we meet the expectations? Uh, it's been a whirlwind of activity for us in the past few weeks as uh, we've undertaken the exercise Trident Juncture LiveX for 2018, and we're back at uh, Joint Force Headquarters in Naples to commence the Command Post exercise for 2018. Trident Juncture uh, was the largest NATO exercise since the end of the Cold War. And uh, it really demonstrated that NATO is ready to defend and deter across the entire alliance. And in simple terms, an attack on one is an attack on all. So we came to the defense of our Norwegian allies. Uh, it really tested our ability to conduct a major collective defense operation from you know, troop training at the tactical level to command of uh, large forces. And when I say large, I mean really large. 50,000 soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines with 250 combat or logistics support aircraft, almost 70 ships, and 10,000 vehicles. Now, these were tracked vehicles, uh, amphibious assault vehicles, tanks, heavy equipment transporters, bridging systems, container ships, and roll-on, roll-off vessels that came into the ports of Norway uh, for almost 30 days delivering 2,100 containers of combat capability. The U.S. Navy's contribution uh, to Trident Juncture was significant. Not only did we have the Harry S. Truman strike group up there, and they did a fantastic job, we also had the uh, USS Iwo Jima Expeditionary Strike Group. When you look at the contribution of uh, those ships, those Marines, all the personnel and support, and then the personnel that are here in Europe that uh, are Americans who were part of Trident Juncture. It's almost 18,000 service members, 140 aircraft, eight ships, and 900 vehicles. So absolutely impressive. Uh, one of the things that uh, we took advantage of was the opportunity to do this in October and November. And I think in one of my last podcasts, and certainly in my public uh, uh, speaking while I was in Norway, I made mention of the fact that when I was in the States, people asked me, hey, why'd you do this in October and November? It's pretty nasty and cold in uh, the high uh, north at that time of year. And that's exactly why we wanted to stress the force. And we truly did uh, get some lessons learned out of this. We gave the NATO Alliance an opportunity uh, to train with us and to be interoperable. And we demonstrated the global reach of that alliance. So. Uh, if a campaign happens somewhere in the world, NATO has proven that it can move seven equivalent brigades in about 30 days. Absolutely amazing. So overall, uh, I think we exceeded expectations, and I was very happy with the success of the LiveX portion of Trident Juncture. Admiral, thank you for giving us that overview of Trident Juncture from the commander's perspective. How was it working with the Norwegian allies during this exercise? 
Well, you know, uh, I had the opportunity to spend about a half a day with the Prime Minister of Norway, uh, Ms. Erna Solberg, and uh, the Defense Minister of Norway, uh, Defense Minister Baki Jensen, and uh, they were fantastic. Norway has uh, something that they refer to as a total defense concept. Uh, they have conscription in their armed forces, and uh, the tools that uh, those conscripts take with them when they go back out in the civilian community allow them to have pride in uh, their nation and their flags. So the total defense concept brings everybody back into the field and support. Uh, they don't necessarily have to put on a uniform, but uh, those air traffic controllers that are in the towers, uh, the police, the emergency services, the home guard, and the citizens of Norway all came together to help us out. I was really impressed. It goes from the top down. So not only did the Prime Minister and the Defense Minister come out, the Prime Minister actually got into a leopard tank for a demonstration of that capability out uh, with the Norwegian Brigade in the field. But we also had the King and the Crown Prince, and uh, they spent a day with us. So King Harald is a graduate of their military academy. Crown Prince Hakan is a graduate of their naval academy. Uh, the two of them were together with me as we went to various brigades and headquarters. When we came back to Trondheim, uh, the King actually visited the Royal Marines of the United Kingdom. And uh, it happened to be uh, the birthday celebration of the Royal Marines, so he participated in that event with them, and it was, uh, it was kind of a, a cool thing to watch. At the end of the day, uh, the Crown Prince decided that he was going to go out in the field and spend some time with uh, Norwegian troops. So he actually uh, got into an armored vehicle, drove around, had a, had a combat meal with them, and then spent the night somewhere out there in a tent where it was pretty cold. So overall, total defense concept, I took away a very positive impression, a top-down thing that goes all the way from the king, the prime minister, to the uh, newest conscript in the Norwegian Joint Force. They're serious about their defense, and they're serious about their role in NATO. Well, sir, what an incredible story about the leadership of Norway being there with their troops throughout various parts of the exercise. And, sir, moving on, in the middle of the exercise, the Russians made a sudden announcement, a notice to airmen, or NOTAM, about a missile launch they had planned to do that didn't end up happening. Did you see this as an aggressive act? Well, uh, that NOTAM, or that notification uh, that Russia was going to uh, conduct a missile launch, was something that... Uh, was new. Uh, I don't think we've seen them establish an area uh, outside of Trondheim in recent history, but it was uh, in international waters, and that's an important point. So the Secretary of General of NATO, when he came to the Distinguished Visitors Day and spent a day with us, uh, had several press conferences, and he was asked about this. And uh, his answer uh, is my answer, and that is, we operate in uh, the oceans of the world in what we call the global commons. They're called the commons for a reason. Uh, the Russians uh, laid down this area in international waters, and quite frankly, uh, it didn't really cause a change in anything that we did. Uh, we simply uh, worked through it, worked around it. And so, to tell you the truth, it was no big deal. And in the final analysis, they didn't launch anything. I think this really gets to the point of transparency. So uh, I've maintained all along that the, the purpose of, of this exercise and the NATO alliance is to deter and to defend and to dialogue with potential adversaries. Uh, we're very strong. Uh, we're 29 strong, plus we had two partner nations with us, Sweden and Finland, and we're very capable of deterring and defending. 
We don't do offensive operations and grab anybody else's territory, so I don't see why anyone would see NATO as a threat. We simply defend the territory and the sovereign lines of each of those 29 nations in the alliance. At the same time, we dialogue. And sir, what are some of the outcomes of that dialogue with Russia in relation to Trident Juncture? Russia is a member of the Organization of Security Cooperation in Europe, a treaty uh, called the Vienna Document. And in line with that treaty, they're authorized to have observers at large exercises like this. So we invited them to come, and they actually sent two observers who were there for the preponderance of the LIVEX period, and they pretty much saw everything that we were doing. I wanted them to see the capability and the capacity of NATO, and I think it was impressive. If I were them, I would take a message home that uh, NATO is strong, don't mess with NATO. At the same time, we've got General Scaparotti, who's had several conversations with the Russian chief of defense. I think that's a good thing. It avoids mistakes and miscalculations. One last thing on dialogue, and I think this was, this was brilliant. The Secretary General came for the Distinguished Visitors Day, and then he returned to Brussels. And the following day, NATO convened a meeting of the NATO-Russia Council. They have an observer ambassador and a delegation to NATO. They were able to come into the room with the Secretary General and his team of the international staff and the international military staff. They were able to talk about uh, areas in which we agree on and areas uh, that we don't agree on. And I think uh, following that big event during the Trident Juncture LiveX was absolutely the perfect time to do that. There still are incidents out there of unsafe or unprofessional conduct. It didn't happen in the area of uh, LIVEX in Norway for Trident Juncture. But during that period of time, we had an interaction which you saw on uh, international uh, reporting and media. And uh, that was not a uh, professional or safe interaction. So completely unsatisfactory and the type of behavior that we want to avoid in the future. So overall, I think we sent the right message, deter, uh, defend, and dialogue. And we certainly gave uh, the Russians an opportunity to see NATO at its finest. Now, so you recently returned from Belgium. Can you tell us about your time at the NATO Commanders Conference there and also about your time at Flanders Field during Veterans Day? Yeah, uh, as I headed uh, back from uh, Trident Juncture LiveX, I had the opportunity uh, to attend the Supreme Allied Commanders uh, Conference in Mons, Belgium. And uh, that's something that he does uh, uh, a couple of times a year where we get all the component commanders and the leadership together. Uh, to discuss issues and uh, future plans and future exercises. They ended uh, uh, on the weekend, on a Friday, and Sunday was Veterans Day. And uh, I was asked by uh, a commander of uh, European Command to participate in uh, 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 Remembrance Day or a, a ceremony commemorating the 100th anniversary of uh, the signing of the armistice that ended uh, the Great War, World War I. And you may know that war is sometimes referred to as the war to end all wars. Now, we know it did not. Uh, the conditions of that war in the Treaty of Versailles led to uh, uh, the conditions that brought about the Second World War. But millions of combatants participated in the First World War in the trenches, and millions of young men and women died. An entire generation was affected. And so it was a great honor for me to go to Flanders Fields, uh, where there are probably uh, 364 known graves and about 41 other uh, unknown uh, soldiers buried there. Uh, one 
naval officer, Lieutenant McLeish, who was uh, shot down in his Sopworth Camel during that First World War. And sir, if I'm not mistaken, you have a personal connection to Flanders Field. Can you tell us more about that? I had two grandfathers that fought in the trenches in World War I. They were part of uh, Commonwealth forces. They were Canadians. And uh, the connection to Flanders is the poem Flanders Fields, in Flanders Fields. It was written by a uh, Canadian lieutenant colonel who was actually a doctor. His name was John McCrae. And I can remember when uh, I was growing up as a young boy, my father would always wear a poppy during Remembrance Day. That's what we called it in Canada. And he would pin uh, a poppy on my blue blazer. And I was always proud to uh, wear that around in the, the week running up to Veterans Day or Remembrance Day and to school. And uh, my dad would uh, recite the poem In Flanders Fields by McCrae. And uh, he would always tell me that it was written by a Canadian. As I grew up, I did a little, little bit more research on this. And Colonel McCrae uh, wrote the poem out of frustration. I mean, he was in a field hospital in a place called Essex Farm. During that time, casualties were coming in, and he was constantly up for you know, days uh, on end. And one day, uh, they brought in a casualty, and it was a friend of his and a former student of his, Lieutenant Alexis Helmer from Ontario. And uh, he couldn't save Alexis Helmer's life. Lieutenant Helmer died. And uh, Colonel McRae took a break, and he walked out into this field in Essex Farm and sat down and looked across the field and saw the rows of poppies. And uh, consequently, he wrote this poem, which became world famous. I went to Essex Farm prior to uh, my address at the 100th anniversary of the signing of the armistice at Flanders Fields. And I stood for a while in uh, quiet solitude and solidarity. And you know, it appeared to me that things hadn't changed much since 1918 in this field. It was quite uh, stunning for me, impressive for me to stand there at this place that inspired McRae uh, to write this uh, famous poem about uh, the hor horrific nature of that battle and the casualties that uh, took place and the friends that were lost on both sides. So uh, a great honor for me and uh, I'm reminded uh, by a statement that was made by uh, General Blackjack Pershing during the First World War. It's short and he said, time will not dim the glory of their deeds. And I firmly believe that. And we've got to continue to remember uh, the sacrifice that was made by those great Americans and those great allied forces. Thank you, sir, for sharing your thoughts and experience on Trident Juncture, the NATO Supreme Allied Commanders Conference, and your time at Flanders Field. Thank you, Lieutenant Dixon. It's uh, always a pleasure. We hope you have enjoyed our podcast on the horizon navigating the European and African theaters. Please share the podcast with your family and friends, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher.com. Join us next time when Admiral Fogel and I look to discuss various topics and events that are impacting the maritime security environment in Europe and Africa. Thank you.